You're listening to The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam, the series that visits those distinguished as leaders of humanity, not only in history, but in the ranks of the next world. Dive into the stories of the giants who were the first of their kind as they rose to the occasion and became preserved inspirations for generations to come. With your host, Sheikh Dr. Omar Suleiman, let's meet The Firsts. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh everyone. Welcome back to the first. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man walah. So tonight inshallah ta'ala we continue speaking about one of the supreme companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam who we owe so much of our legacy to. The legacy of the Quran, the legacy of hadith that he was able to narrate, the legacy of fiqh that transpired primarily through the madhab of Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah ta'ala, a man who was there from the very beginning of the advent of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and whose legacy of knowledge lives with us today and touches us in so many different ways that we probably don't appreciate. And that is Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now I want to preface this by saying that this was a really tough uh, lecture for me to do because uh, Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu is someone that I've, I've done uh, courses of six, seven hours on, specifically when you speak about how his legacy transpires in the qira'at, in the, in, in the books of fiqh, uh, through the different narrations and his qualities in so many ways. But uh, just like with Khulafa al-Rashidin, we are you know primarily focusing on the initial coming into Islam and the companionship with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and some of the implications that that has for us ta'ala. So we speak about Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He was from the tribe of Hudayl. And Hudayl was not a tribe of Mecca, but they were an outside tribe. Uh, they were considered a tribe of Bedouins. And they did not have any type of prominence in Mecca. So this is going to be, again, a situation in which you have a people who would be considered du'afa, a people who would be considered from the marginalized and from the weak and those that are unprotected in society. His father who passed away before Islam was Mas'ud ibn Ghafir and he had come to Mecca uh, to basically care for the people's uh, uh, livestock, to care for their sheep, to do some of the lower jobs in Mecca and he had formed an allegiance particularly to Banu Zuhra. Now, last week we spoke about Banu Zuhra because it was the tribe of Sa'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So, he was a halif, one who had allegiance to the tribe of Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas radiallahu ta'ala anhu to Banu Zuhra. And his son would basically follow in his footsteps. Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu would follow in his footsteps in occupying that's that, that space in society where if you are someone who has allegiance to another tribe, you don't get involved in the internal politics of Mecca. You don't get involved in anything that involves the aristocrats or uh, the, you don't get involved with anything that involves some of the elite classes of Mecca. You avoid all of that. So Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu was someone that would follow along that same path as his father um, and would basically take on the role of shepherding sheep and of doing some of those things that, uh, that some of the lower classes in Mecca would do. Now, his name was Abdullah ibn Ummi Abd. That was his nickname before Islam. Abdullah, the son of Ummi Abd, which is referring to his mother. Uh, after Islam, it's Abu Abdurrahman. And in the books of fiqh and hadith, 
you find that if the name Abdullah is mentioned, we know that there were many Abadilah, there were many Abdullahs that showed up in Islamic history that all occupy such a great space in our deen, in our tradition. But if you see Abdullah without Ibn anything, it is referring to the Abdullah, referring to Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Uh, his physical description is important to his legacy in Islam. Why? Because Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu was uniquely uh, short, uh, nahif, qasir. He was uh, skinny, extremely skinny, extremely short, extremely short, unusually short. Uh, so much so that they say that the, the that if the people were jealous, if someone was sitting, then it would equal Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu standing. And if the people were standing, you would not be able to see him. Why is this important? We'll see later on with a prominent incident that took place with Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So he was known for his height uh, and particularly uh, being very short, being very thin, uh, not having much facial hair. Uh, he was also described as having very dark skin. كَأَنَّهُ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْبَادِيَةِ The people of, uh, it was as if he was one of the Bedouins. And of course he lived a Bedouin life. And subhanAllah, there's, there's a, a, a narration about him uh, which is after uh, he accepts Islam, but his physical appearance. And it is Ibn Sakhbara radiallahu ta'ala anhu who, or, or rahimahullah, who was one of the tabi'een from Kufa, one of his students. He said, I went out in the morning with Abdullah bin Mas'ud from Mina to Arafah, and he was chanting the Talbiyah. He said, Abdullah was a black man with two braids, and he looked like the people of the desert, like the Bedouins of the desert. So he was a black man and he had particularly two braids anhu, and he said a crowd of the common people began to gather around him and they said to him Ya A'rabi, O Bedouin man, this is not a day to make talbiyah, to say the bayk Allahumma la bayk, but rather it's a day to make takbir, to say Allahu Akbar. And this is something by the way you find with many of the Sahaba that those that lived a long life would often encounter people who had no idea who they were. So they would just you know, speak to them as if they were common folk. We saw it with Ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu in the story of Uthman. We see it in so many different narrations, especially in the days of Hajj, where you have a bunch of people that are converging upon Mecca, or you have the Sahaba that traveled into different parts of the world. So they started to censor Abdullah bin Mas'ud, thinking he was just some Bedouin man. And they said, why are you speaking this way? Why are you saying... لَبَيْكَ اللَّهُمَ لَبَيْكَ And at this point in the Hajj, you should be saying Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. And he said, SubhanAllah, are the people ignorant or have they forgotten? He said, I swear by the one who sent Muhammad وسلم, with the truth, I went out with the Messenger of Allah وسلم. I was with him in Hajj. And he did not stop chanting the Talbiyah until he cast at Jamrat al-Aqaba, except then to mix it with a Takbir or a Tahleel with Allahu Akbar or La ilaha Allah. So this is a narration of Muslim Imam Ahmad, Ibn Khuzayman and others, um, and it's an authentic uh, narration. So again, um, you know, this was a man, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that had a very distinct appearance and one that would, um, you know, uh, uh, put him in some significant incidents that speak about the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not judge someone from the size of their body, right? And, and their posture and their, uh, their strength. You know, when the Prophet ﷺ says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not look at your suwar or your atsad. Allah does not look at your physical appearance, nor your atsad, nor the size of you, nor your strength. He doesn't look at these uh, titles. He doesn't look at your appearances. He doesn't look at your, your physical size. 
but he looks at your hearts. He looks at your character. Uh, the hadith where the Prophet said that on the day of judgment, that a person would come on the day of judgment who is huge in stature, physically huge, mighty and huge, and he doesn't weigh in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the wing of a mosquito. Here you have the opposite in Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu, someone who uh, was significant in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is significant in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as we'll see in some of the narrations about him. He did radiallahu ta'ala anhu used to be known for his perfume. Uh, so he used, to, he used to love good scents. And um, you know, one of the things that's narrated about him is that he was one of the most pleasantly scented people and he used to wear the cleanest white uh, thawb radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So how does he get into Islam? Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu was sent to be a shepherd of Uqba bin Abi Mu'it at the age of 13 years old. So again, we're going to see the story of a teenager embracing Islam. Who is Uqba bin Abi Mu'it? Uqba bin Abi Mu'it is the one who we said put the camel guts on the back of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Fatima radiallahu ta'ala anha was cleaning the back of the Prophet after that incident. He's one of the most evil oppressors of the Prophet staunch in his opposition to Islam. Not just one of the elite of Quraysh, but one of the cruelest of the elite of Quraysh. Someone who has no dignity and no shame subjecting the Prophet to all sorts of punishment, as we will see. So Abdullah bin Mas'ud was his shepherd in charge of his sheep at the age of 13 years old. And his incident is very beautiful. He, he didn't meet the Prophet ﷺ through Abu Bakr anhu calling him the way he called some of the other companions to come speak to the Prophet ﷺ. He said that one day I was caring for the sheep of Uqba bin Abi Mu'it, minding my own business on the outskirts of Mecca. And this man comes to me and he's traveling with someone else. He says to me, um, can we have some milk from these goats because we're travelers? And do you have any shat? Do you have any goats that have some milk that we can uh, that we can uh, you know drink from? So Ibn Mas'ud, not knowing who these people are, he said, Naam, mu'taman. He said, Look, I don't own these sheep. I am entrusted with these sheep. So I can't give you from their milk because that would not be honest uh, to my uh, to my to my uh, Sayyid. Uh, to the one who owns them. So the man says to me, You know what? Just go ahead and bring me a, you know, one of the goats or one of the sheep that has no milk in it. So he says, uh, I brought them one of those. He said, so that man who was of course the Prophet wasallam, he put his hand on the udders of the, of, of the sheep and he said, Bismillah. The Prophet wasallam said, Bismillah. And he said, فَإِذَا بِهَا يَمْتَلِئُ لَبَنَا He said, then all of a sudden the udders started to flow with milk. So the Prophet took their milk. He said, ثُمَّ شَرِبَ He drank. He gave to his companion who was Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu to drink. And he gave me from it as well to drink. So here I am. I'm with the Prophet and Abu Bakr. I don't know them at this point you know, and, and what's going on with them. I just see that the Prophet said some words and the udders suddenly started to bring milk and the Prophet in his generosity gave milk to his companion Abu Bakr and to me as well, even though I did not betray the trust of my master because, you know, this was a, uh, you know, this was an animal that gave no milk. 
He said, And then after the Prophet finished taking milk from it, then it went back to not producing milk at all. So I said to him, Ya Am, O uncle, Teach me about these words that you just said. So the Prophet ﷺ, he wiped his hand on my chest. He smiled at me. He said, That you are a knowledgeable young man. You're a young man who is intelligent, who's bright. Now the Prophet ﷺ obviously wanted to stir a curiosity of Ibn Mas'ud that would put him on a journey. So Ibn Mas'ud does not know what he just saw. He's a 13-year-old shepherd minding his own business in the outskirts of Mecca. And obviously, what does he do? He says, as soon as they left, he said, I went to as'alu anhuma, and I started to ask the people about them. He said, so I went to Al-Abbas, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And Al-Abbas, of course, was a tradesman. Remember the, um, the story of Afif al-Kindi radiallahu ta'ala anhu who went to al-Abbas and who asked him about what was happening. So al-Abbas knew the scene in Mecca. So he said, I went to al-Abbas and he was selling some perfume. And I asked al-Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhu about him. And he told me who he was. So I went to him and I said, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu annaka rasulullah. I bear witness that there is only one God and that you are the messenger of Allah. So he went to the Prophet ﷺ quickly to inquire about him. And of course, he learned that the Prophet ﷺ was a messenger calling to the message of Tawheed, to the oneness of God. And because of what he had seen and encountered, he immediately believed in him ﷺ. And so Abdullah bin Mas'ud is widely regarded as the sixth man to enter into Islam. And I'm going to say this over and over again. Sometimes you're going to have some conflicting narrations about what day, what time exactly uh, people had accepted Islam. But he is actually nicknamed as Sudus al-Islam. At one point, he was one-sixth of Islam. So he's looked at as the sixth man who accepted Islam, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, even though he was also just a teenager. Some of the nicknames that he would take on after that, uh, he is the keeper of the uh, the sandals of the Prophet All we're going to see is closeness. So Sahibun Na'lain, the keeper of the sandals. What that means is that he would walk so close to the Prophet he'd pick up the Prophet sandals and he'd put them under his uh, under his armpit so that he could walk with them. Radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He was the keeper of the secrets of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Why? Because the Prophet made him so close to him that the Prophet ﷺ told him, Ibnuka, you have permission and tarfa'al hijab and tasma'a siwadi hatta anhak. He said that I, I will, you know, lift up the veil. You can come close to me. You can hear anything that I say until I tell you that uh, it's private, that you cannot uh, hear it. So the default is that you are my confidant. You can hear whatever it is that I say. And he will maintain a closeness to the Prophet ﷺ throughout the life of the Prophet ﷺ, that we'll see that other companions uh, envied in a positive way the closeness that he had to the Messenger ﷺ. Now, what is he the first man to do? Um, he's the first man to recite the Qur'an publicly. The first man to recite the Qur'an publicly, particularly in front of the Kaaba. Now, subhanAllah, I talked about that mighty scene of Bilal who standing on top of the Kaaba and chanting the Adhan for the first time. And you, you watch the scenes on TV, you've been to the Haram, you see the Adhan going all throughout. Imagine how beautiful it was to hear the first Adhan 
and the prominence and the honor that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu as he stood on top of the Kaaba and shouted out, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Imagine being the very first person to recite the Quran out loud in front of the Kaaba. Okay, what is the context of this? Some of the Sahaba, they were speaking amongst themselves, and these are some of the early companions, of course, and they talked about this idea of the Quran being recited publicly in front of the Kaaba. And they started to suggest some names. And the names that they were suggesting obviously were some of the powerful people who had the least chance of being killed for reciting the Quran publicly, right? So one name that came up, for example, Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu ta'ala The people loved Uthman too much. He was wealthy. They had all sorts of reasons not to hurt him. He was noble, right? So some said, well, what about Uthman radiallahu ta'ala Some said, what about Ibn Auf? So there are some different names that came up of some of the noble companions, noble in terms of status and class in that society who would be protected by their tribes. The last person that would fit that, that description is Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala He has no tribe to take care of him. He is, you know, as we'll see, by the way, the first person when, when, the, uh, when the Quraysh came to the Prophet ﷺ and they said, you know, Utrud just, you know, leave off these people and we'll sit with you and listen to you. The first name is Abdullah bin Mas'ud. They didn't want to be seen with him. They didn't want to sit in a gathering with him. You know, he's not a person that has protection. He's not a person that has the physical stature to be able to bear the beating that's going to come his way when he does that. He doesn't have any... Uh, you know, trade that would cause someone who has who has a partnership with him to try to protect him. No one would want to protect Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu from these people in Mecca. He's not going to find sympathizers, right? So he has every reason not to be that person, but Abdullah bin Mas'ud says, I will, and he said, Allah Azza wa Jalla will protect me. I'm going to be the one to recite the Quran in public and Allah will protect me. Now, some of the companions tried to talk him out of it, but he insisted to be the one to go out and to recite the Qur'an. So think of the scene. You're in Mecca. No one has ever recited the Qur'an publicly. You have the idols surrounding the Kaaba. The people are going out about their business. And this young man goes out to the front of the Kaaba. And he starts to recite, Ar-Rahman, Allama al-Qur'an, Khalaqa al-Insan, Allamahu al-Bayan, Al-Shamsu wal-Qamaru bi-Husban, He's reciting Surah Al-Rahman. And that is, of course, Surah Al-Rahman. The whole Qur'an is beautiful. The whole Qur'an is beautiful. Surah Al-Rahman flowing from the mouth of Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And obviously he's reciting this from the heart. And it's one of the earliest surahs that was revealed. And there's a wisdom, a hikmah to that being the surah that he will choose to recite in front of the Kaaba. And the people are looking at him and they're like, is this poetry? What is he doing? What's he talking about here? Is this poetry? And eventually, you know, as he's reciting Surah Rahman, they say, he's reciting the words of Muhammad He's reciting those words that the Prophet, that, that Muhammad is claiming comes to him from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, from above seven heavens. So they all pounce upon Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and they start to crush him. And he was beaten unconscious and so severely that it said his collarbones were collapsed, right? Stepped on, beaten. They thought they actually killed him for reciting. And the Sahaba went to him and they pulled him out of the beating, the people literally stomping him and stepping on him. And they took him back and they treated him. 
And he woke up from his, you know, from, from his unconsciousness. And they said to him, Lima fa'alta hadha? Why did you, why did you do that? We told you that it's going to hurt you. We told you that you'll probably be killed. Why did you do that? And subhanAllah, he says, ma kana Allah He said, there was, there is no day that the enemies of Allah were lighter in my sight than they were today. I, I have no regard for them whatsoever. And he says, Wallahi, lawaditu an arji'a maratan ukhra ghadan. He said, I wish, he said, I want to go back tomorrow. And he said, I will read the Quran again and they will do what they do again. And at that point, I don't care. And he said, Hatta takhruja ruhi until my, my, my soul would come out, until death would come. And they told Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu, Hasbuka, stop, it's enough. Uh, you already caused them to hear what they hate to hear. It's okay. Right? You don't need to go further and read more in a way that's going to put your life at risk in this environment. It's not the best thing to do. So Abdullah bin Mas'ud occupies the position of being, you know, the person who recited the Qur'an publicly first. Radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And not just in any space, but in front of the Kaaba. And I always tell people, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us a chance to visit uh, his home that when you're there in Mecca and Medina, try to think about the scenes of these companions. So when you're walking around the Kaaba doing tawaf bi'dhnillahi ta'ala, think of Abdullah bin Mas'ud the first time reciting Qur'an in front of the Kaaba. Think of Bilal radiallahu anhu standing on top of the Kaaba, making the adhan. Remember the Prophet sallallahu sitting in the shade of the Kaaba and Khabbab coming to the Prophet sallallahu and complaining about the torture that they are facing. Remember the Prophet sallallahu himself being tortured in the way that he was so that you could recite the Qur'an so freely as you do when you stand in front of the Kaaba. Try to think about these scenes as you're making tawaf. Immerse yourself in these scenes because they're very powerful scenes. Now, Ibn Mas'ud anhu, you know, was given tawfiq, truly chosen to do this action. And there's something about Ibn Mas'ud's connection to the Qur'an. Of course, the Sahaba were the generation that received the Qur'an. And we talked about Umm Ayman radiallahu ta'ala anha. And the way she loved the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, she held the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as a baby. She followed him. But why did she cry when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam passed away in that incident when she was sitting with Abu Bakr and Umar? Because the revelation has ceased to come from the heavens. They loved the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam first and foremost because he was the messenger of Allah. And because of the message that Allah endowed him with alayhi salatu wasalam. So they loved him for the Qur'an first and foremost. And you find this with Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that his love for the Qur'an was so special. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasalam said, Man sarrahu an yasma' al-Qur'an ghaddan tariyan kama unzil. Whoever wants to hear the Qur'an fresh, whoever wants to hear it, the way that it was revealed, let them listen to the qira'ah of Ibn Mas'ud If you want to hear the Qur'an the way it was revealed to the Prophet you listen to the qira'ah of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud And you know, there, there are various narrations about this um, that the Prophet uh, said that to take the Qur'an, to learn the Qur'an from four people and he mentioned Abdullah ibn Mas'ud first and then Mu'adh and Ubay and Salim. Uh, may Allah be pleased with them all but uh, the Prophet ﷺ referred to him as an authority of the Qur'an and Ibn Mas'ud would refer to the Prophet ﷺ even by his being honored with the Qur'an being revealed to him. So there are times that he would refer to the Prophet ﷺ as Alladhi unzilat alayhi surat al-Baqarah. The one upon whom surat al-Baqarah 
was revealed. And there, there's a saying from him, Man ahabba al-Qur'an, ahabba Allah wa Rasulah, that whoever loves the Qur'an will naturally love Allah and his messenger, the one who Allah chose to send the Qur'an through Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he said, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, what an amazing uh, narration. He says, أَخَذْتُ مِنْ فَمِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ I took from the mouth of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam 70 surahs of the Qur'an, fresh from the mouth of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Right? Meaning I was there, I saw the revelation, I received them fresh from the mouth of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And so the one who wants to hear the Qur'an, let them listen to the Qur'an fresh from the mouth of Ibn Mas'ud and how much of the Qur'an, how much of it do we have because of the students of Ibn Mas'ud, those that heard the Qur'an from Ibn Mas'ud, who heard it from the Prophet and then taught and then taught and then taught until it reaches us the way that it reaches us uh, today. Um, and there, there are so many different narrations, subhanAllah. I'll just mention one more about the Qur'an in particular, how Allah Azzawajal chose him to have a special distinction with the Qur'an. And that is the incident where the Prophet said to him, said to him to recite the Qur'an to me. And Ibn Mas'ud anhu was, uh, was shocked. He said, do you want me to read upon you? And it was revealed to you, Ya Rasulullah, you want me to read the Qur'an to you and it was revealed to you? And the Prophet ﷺ says that I love to hear it from other than myself. And asma'ahu min ghayri. I love to hear it from other than myself. And he sat with the Prophet ﷺ and he started to read Surah An-Nisa until he got to فَكَيْفَ إِذَا جِئْنَا مِنْ كُلِّ أُمَّةً بِشَهِيدٍ Then how will it be when we bring upon every nation a witness and we bring you, O Muhammad ﷺ, as a witness upon all of these as a witness upon all of these nations. And he said that when I recited that, the Prophet ﷺ said to me to stop, enough. I looked up and he said, I saw the, the eyes of the Prophet ﷺ dripping like leaky faucets. I mean, the water was coming down, streaming from the eyes of the Prophet ﷺ, listening to the Qur'an of Ibn Mas'ud anhu and the verse that reminded the Prophet ﷺ that he, was a, that he is a witness upon all nations on the day of judgment, subhanAllah. So, you know, he is the one who Allah chose to recite the Qur'an publicly for the first time in front of the Kaaba. And he's the one who Allah chooses to sit with the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and recite the Qur'an to him, bringing him to tears. And he's the one that the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, says that if you want to hear the Qur'an fresh as it was revealed, listen to his recitation. And he's the one who says, I took 70 surahs fresh from the mouth of the Prophet the one upon whom Surah Al-Baqarah was revealed. And we'll just see this, that Ibn Mas'ud truly took the Qur'an everywhere that he went and he inspired uh, generations with the Qur'an and with his love of the Qur'an And it was for him and upon the likes of him that, um, you know, that, that the, uh, the, the verse was revealed when the Mushrikeen did not want to sit with Ibn Mas'ud or Sa'ad or Bilal or some of these other companions that were considered from the du'afa, from the weak that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to the Prophet Keep yourself patient with those who call upon their Lord morning and afternoon, uh, uh, calling upon him, seeking his pleasure. So this is who he was. Now, obviously, before I get to, 
you know, more about his position with the Prophet It's one thing to be mocked by the outside. It's one thing to be stomped upon and hurt by the enemies of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's another thing when you are hurt from within. And that hurt is not the hurt of questioning his position. His position was never questioned. But there is this incident that takes place that really hurt his feelings. But subhanAllah, at the, at the same time, uh, you know, it, it ended up being a blessing for him because the Prophet ﷺ defended him and mentioned something about his status that was powerful. The Prophet ﷺ was with Ibn Mas'ud who was always with him as we said. And Ibn Mas'ud was picking from the Araq tree, something from the tree where the Siwak comes from. And the wind blew up his garment. He was blown into the tree in a way. He fell back and his legs were exposed. And his legs were extremely small. And because of that, some of the Sahaba laughed, right? They laughed at his physical appearance. And the Prophet could have let that go, right? These are companions. This is a companion. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You know, these are the instances of Allah that really uh, should, should, should lead you to just love and appreciate the Prophet more than anything else. He doesn't let stuff like that go, right? He checks them. Even the Sahaba, he checks them when it comes to things like this, right? This is the culture, the tarbiyah. He doesn't let an insult go. He doesn't let someone's feelings go hurt. He will check it and he will make sure that he, that he takes care of it at the moment. May Allah give us that same type of, uh, of, of uh, character that the Prophet had. So he sees them laughing at Ibn Mas'ud and the Prophet sees the hurt on the face of Ibn Mas'ud and the Prophet says, why are you laughing? They said, Ya Rasulullah, we're, we're just laughing at his, his legs, right? The size of his legs. And the Prophet said, you're laughing at the legs of Ibn Mas'ud? And they said, yeah. And you know, by the way, SubhanAllah, this is how sometimes things go by, they pass. Because it's noble people that are sitting and this is culture and it's, what's the big deal, right? How many times has Ibn Mas'ud anhu probably been made fun of in his life? But this is different. This is the companions and this is the Prophet in their presence. So the Prophet said, you're laughing from his two legs, you're, you're laughing at his legs. And they said, Ya Rasulullah, we were just, we were laughing at the size of his legs. And the Prophet says, Uhud. He said, I swear by Allah that they are heavier on the scales on the day of judgment with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than Jabal Uhud, than the mountain of Uhud. SubhanAllah. Now, next time you go to Uhud, may Allah write us that trip. Allahumma ameen. And you look at the, the vastness of Uhud. Imagine Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu's legs on the day of judgment. The giant of Ibn Mas'ud and the scale with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the scales of God, he is, his legs are the size of Uhud. What about the, what about the whole of him radiallahu ta'ala anhu? These legs are the size of Uhud. And what did we say earlier? That a, a huge person comes on the day of judgment, he doesn't weigh the weight of a wing of a mosquito in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. SubhanAllah, what a way for the Prophet to testify to his greatness. What a lesson. And what an example that he, he sets for us sallallahu alayhi wa And imagine how Ibn Mas'ud heard hearing that radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So he was sahibu sirri rasulillahi sallallahu He was the keeper of secrets of the Prophet sallallahu the keeper of his of his of his pillow, the keeper of his sandals, the keeper of his wudu when he would travel, the keeper of his siwak. Um, 
the one who كان يوقظ النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا نام ويستر النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا اختسل he was the one that would wake the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم up from his sleep he was the one that would cover the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم when the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم needed to relieve himself or do غسل that's the closeness that he had so much so that Abu Musa al-Ash'ari رضي الله تعالى عنه who embraced Islam from Yemen he said that when I and my brother came from Yemen and we accepted Islam, we thought that Ibn Mas'ud and his mother were from Ahlul Bayt, were from the members of the household of the Prophet because of how close he was to the Prophet and the way he would stay with the Prophet for so long, we considered him from Ahlul Bayt. We thought he was a family member of the Prophet because he would spend almost the whole day with the Prophet. He attached himself to the Prophet. He attended to his needs. He would accompany him on all of his journeys. He was the one who would shield him, the one who would wake him up, the one who would carry his things for him. And so this, and, and on top of all of that, he's the confidant of the Prophet And this is special because there are few people that had that type of relationship. And particularly when it comes to the secrets of the Prophet those that would, uh, that would that would uh, hear the secrets of the Prophet that the Prophet would confide in with some of those things. And who's you know most recognized for that? It's Hudayf ibn al-Yaman anhu, who was the secret keeper of the Prophet And so Abdurrahman ibn Yazid, he narrates, he says, we went to Hudayf ibn al-Yaman and we said to him, inform us of who the closest of people to the Prophet من أقرب الناس من رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم هديًا ودلًا uh, who is closest to the Prophet ﷺ in regards to their guidance and conduct and character. So we would take from them. So we would take from that person. And we would hear from that person. So we can learn from them. Who is the person that you would say, O Hudayfa, is closest to the Prophet ﷺ in his guidance and his character so that we can learn from him alayhi salatu wassalam. And... Uh, Hudayf ibn al-Yaman says that the closest of the people to the Prophet in guidance, in conduct, in character was Abdullah ibn Mas'ud He says to the point that he would hide from us in his house. The Prophet would take him into the house when none of us could go in the house with the Prophet that for all of us we would have sort of reached the limit and our closeness to the Prophet but Ibn Mas'ud would go in with the Prophet and he said that the mahfudun, al mahfudun minna refers to those that are guarded by Allah now what he means by that those that were protected from uh, hypocrisy protected from going astray so they were considered the most upright of the companions of the Prophet they knew that Ibn Umm Abd that Abdullah ibn Mas'ud was min aqrabihim ilallahi zulfa from the most uh, from the closest of them to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so he wasn't just this close to the prophet sallallahu the most upright of the companions knew that abdullah ibn mas'ud radiyallahu ta'ala anhu had a significant uh, standing that he was closest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well that he was so beloved to Allah so he was beloved to Allah and beloved to uh, the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam and that's why, by the way, you find one of the, the famous incidents that uh, Abu Bakr, Umar, and the Prophet ﷺ were walking. And uh, they were, they, the Prophet ﷺ heard the dua of Ibn Mas'ud. 
And as Ibn Mas'ud was making dua, the Prophet stopped and he started to listen to the dua of Ibn Mas'ud. And Abu Bakr and Umar stopped and they started to listen to the dua of Ibn Mas'ud. He's in conversation with his Lord right now. And the Prophet says, Sal Tu'atah. SubhanAllah, ask and you will be given. Where you are right now, ask and you will be given. And Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, Allahumma ni as'aluka imanan la yartad wa na'eeman la yanfad wa murafaqata nabiyyika Muhammadin sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fi a'la jinan al-khud. He said, O oh Allah, I ask you for imanan la yartad wa na'eeman la yanfad. For iman from faith, from faith that would not expire, from blessings that would not, that, that would not be taken away and from the companionship of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the highest level of the uh, of of, uh, of of paradise, and Subhanallah. I mean, that is the best du'a that you can make, right? Iman that does not spoil, blessings that don't spoil, right? So iman that that he would never go back on, so that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala would keep faith within him. That uh, and he asked him for blessings that would not spoil, and the greatest blessing of all, the companionship of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. In the highest level of paradise, and the Prophet said, Ameen. <laughs> so, this is a special ranking that he has with Allah and a special ranking that he has with the Messenger. He witnessed every significant incident in Islam with the Prophet. Him and his mother were amongst those that made hijrah twice uh, to Abyssinia and to, and to Medina. He witnessed all of the battles with the Prophet. So he's amongst the people of Badr, he's amongst the people of Bay'atul Ridwan. And he was there on the day that his master, Uqbah bin Abi Mu'it, put camel guts on the back of the Prophet. So he actually saw that incident where the Prophet comforted Fatima radiallahu ta'ala anha because of the torture uh, of, of Uqbah bin Abi Mu'it and the laughter of Abu Jahl and those that mock the Prophet. And subhanAllah, this is again the turn, the shift that takes place in Badr. On the day of Badr, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would honor Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu with being, with being the one that would finish off Abu Jahl. Now Abu Jahl was struck by two young men, two brothers, and then he fell in the day of Badr and he was still living, the pharaoh of this ummah, the fir'aun of this ummah. And Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he climbs onto the chest. I mean, think about the size. Abu Jahl was a huge man, was a humongous man physically. A, humong- a mountain of a man physically, okay? And he was, of course, of the elite in Mecca, those that used to torture and ridicule, the first one to kill uh, you know, the Muslims, the first one to put the boycott on the Muslims. You know, really, the Fir'aun of this ummah, subhanAllah. And... We talked about the feelings of the likes of Ammar and others on that day, and Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu and others on that day. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu physically is the opposite of Abu Jahl, and he's also spiritually the opposite of Abu Jahl. This is a man who is a mountain on the day of judgment, standing on a man who does not weigh the wing of a mosquito in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he climbs onto the chest of Abu Jahl. And as he climbs onto the chest of Abu Jahl, Abu Jahl, as arrogant as he is, he looks at him and he says, That you have climbed a difficult climb, O shepherd of sheep. Who do you think you are to stand on my chest? And he asks him, he says, 
Who's winning the battle? Abu Jahl is talking down to Ibn Mas'ud even though he's standing on top of him with a sword about to kill him. And Abdullah ibn Mas'ud says, Al-Gharabatu Lillah wa li Rasulillah ya'adu Allah that the victory belongs to Allah and to the Messenger of Allah, O enemy of Allah. And then he kills Abu Jahl. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honored Ibn Mas'ud being the one who would kill the Pharaoh, the Fir'aun of this Ummah. And that's when the Prophet said, Allahu Akbar, ma tafir'aunu hadihi al-ummah, that the Pharaoh of this Ummah has died. And there's a narration um, in Abi Dawood uh, that the Prophet actually gave to Ibn Mas'ud the sword of uh, Abu Jahl, um, as he was the one that had killed him. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud was so close to the Prophet on the day of Uhud that he was the one who narrated the very famous hadith that the Prophet وسلم, as he was uh, as he was attacked, as the blood was coming down from his face, as the Prophet وسلم, was about to die, he said, Allah qawmi la ya'lamun. Oh Allah, forgive my people, because they certainly do not know any better. So he is the one who narrates that incident. So that shows you the closeness that he had to the Prophet وسلم, in the battle of Uhud as well. He is the one who he says that the Prophet taught me to shahud, taking my hand within his palms, the same way he taught me a surah of the Quran. I love that narration, subhanAllah. Think about that. He took my hand in his palms, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and he taught me the tashahud the same way he taught me a surah of the Quran. So he learned salah from the Prophet. He learned wudu from the Prophet. He learned so much from the Messenger so intimately, so closely, in a way that we would all envy. And we would hope that Allah Azawajal would grant us that closeness on the Day of Judgment to our Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And there is something in- interesting, SubhanAllah, that he had avoided marriage for a long time. And one of the reasons was poverty and one of the reasons was his closeness to the Prophet Sallallahu So he, he says that we used to fight battles in the company of the Prophet Sallallahu and some of us were not married. So he said, I said to the Prophet Sallallahu you know, should we stay that way? Should, should we get castrated? Should we never get married? And the Prophet ﷺ forbade us uh, from doing so, from abstaining from, uh, from, from marriage. Um, and one of the, the incidents, subhanAllah, that, that, uh, that, I, that I found in this regard in Sunan al-Nasai speaks to, uh, connects a dot to Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Uthman, uh, as we said when we talked about Sayyidina Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu, imagine the secret sadaqah that we have never been able to document in our books but are documented in the scrolls of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you remember, Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu helped Ali radiallahu anhu get married. If you go back to the lecture about Ali's marriage to Fatima, may Allah be pleased with them, Uthman radiallahu anhu was one of those that helped Ali get married. He was someone that used to spend on those who were poor and could not afford to get married. So bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says that he met Uthman at Arafah. And Uthman said to me, he said to Ibn Mas'ud, are you interested in a woman that I can, that I can marry her to you? you know, look, are you, are you ready to get married so I can find you someone and I can you know, facilitate the marriage for you? So Uthman wanted to sponsor Ibn Mas'ud's uh, marriage. And, uh, and that is, uh, of course, the incident as well, the narration, the context of Ya ma'ashar shabab, O young men, man istata'a minkum alba'a falyatazawwaj. Whoever amongst you can afford to get married, let him do so. Whoever cannot, then let him fast. For fasting will be a shield uh, for him. 
So this is one of the uh, one of the, the ways that we understand the context of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Saying that was for the likes of Mas'ud who had a difficult time. And we see that uh, he did eventually marry a woman by the name of Zainab bint Abi Mu'awiyah. May Allah be pleased with her. And this is one of, by the way, the incidents where we see the amount of Zainabs that existed in the time of the Prophet And we also get an important ruling. Uh, and that is the permissibility of a wife giving sadaqah to her husband. And so this is a narration from Abu Sa'id radiallahu ta'ala anhu that Zainab, the wife of Ibn Mas'ud, came to the Prophet to, to ask him permission to speak to him. And Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu was guarding the Prophet that day. So uh, he told the Prophet that Zainab is here to see you. The Prophet said, which of the, the Zainab, which of the Zainabs? There are so many Zainabs, so which of the Zainabs? So he said, the Zainab of Ibn Mas'ud, the Zainab who's the wife of Ibn Mas'ud. So she entered and she uh, said to the Prophet Ya Rasulullah, you commanded us today to give sadaqah. And she was speaking about the women, that the Prophet had told the women to give sadaqah and particularly from their jewelry. So he said, I have some, uh, some jewelry that I want to give a sadaqah. So who should I give sadaqah to? So the Prophet said that your husband, your family are uh, are the most worthy of those who would receive sadaqah from you. So this is something that uh, we also find from the virtues of Ibn Mas'ud and one of the lessons that we take from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud There are so many different narrations. The Prophet said, take as examples after me, uh, my two companions, Abu Bakr and Umar, and act upon the guidance of Ammar and hold fast to the bi'ahdi uh, ibn Mas'ud, to the advice of Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And he passed away radiallahu ta'ala uh, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, giving people that, uh, that guidance to follow the likes of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Again, I could go on and on and on and on, but I want to go just to, you know, after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, to this relationship between Umar and Ibn Mas'ud. Now, Umar had a special love of Ibn Mas'ud. And this shows you the way that Iman transformed people, that faith transformed people, and the way that it completely shifted the worldviews of people. Remember there was a time that the Prophet ﷺ would make dua for either Umar or Abu Jahl to accept this na. Because they resembled one another in stature and power and, and leadership and those types of things. So at one at some point, they were similar. But subhanAllah, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu would accept Islam. Abu Jahl would maintain his arrogant ways until the moment of his death under the feet of Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu who was once crushed under the feet of Quraysh in Mecca. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, his entire worldview was shifted by Allah and his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And he had a, you know, such a beautiful relationship with Ibn Mas'ud and he admired him and he used to, you know, he used to call him to his gatherings. He used to call him to a shura to seek advice from him. He used to point him out when the people would gather around Umar as the, as the one from whom advice should be sought. He used to serve him, laugh with him. He used to honor him. The, the amount of narrations are beautiful. He used to say, Muli afiqha, that, that he's full of knowledge. He's full of understanding. And subhanAllah, it was to the point that if you disrespected Ibn Mas'ud in front of Umar, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu would throw something at you, literally. I mean, there are narrations if someone disrespected Ibn Mas'ud, because again, some of the tabi'een, some of those that came from outside, they didn't know 
who Ibn Mas'ud was. So Umar anhu would throw something at them if they disrespected Ibn Mas'ud and, uh, you know, and, and uh, constantly mention his virtues. And one of the things that Umar anhu did was he appointed Ibn Mas'ud as a governor of Kufa in Iraq. And the way that he speaks about his sense of amana, that Umar as a leader, as a leader felt like he had to do right by the ummah. So he would appoint Ibn Mas'ud as a governor in Iraq, as a governor of Kufa in specific, even though he loved Ibn Mas'ud so much himself. And he says, Wallahi, لَقَدْ أَثَرْتُكُمْ بِعَبْدِ بن مسعود على نفسي. He said that, I swear by Allah that I have chosen Abdullah ibn Mas'ud or I've given you Ibn Mas'ud over myself. He said, even though I can't bear to live without him. I love Abdullah ibn Mas'ud so much and I can't bear to, I can't imagine my life without Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. That's Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu speaking. His knowledge, his presence, his guidance, his character. And of course, if Umar loved the Prophet the way he did, then of course he'll love Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu the way that, uh, the, the way that Allah and the Messenger love him. So he said, I'm preferring you to myself by giving you Abdullah ibn Mas'ud uh, even though I cannot bear to live without him. And subhanAllah, that gift that Umar anhu gave to Kufa is indeed where you start to see the schools of fiqh and Qur'an come from Kufa, right? And that emanates from that decision, first and foremost, to send Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, may Allah be pleased with him, to Kufa. And there's the story that, um, you know, there was this group of people that had come uh, through Medina, and it was dark at night, it was late at night. So Umar radiallahu anhu came out to meet them. And he said, where are you coming from? They said, min fajjin amiq, from a deep valley, which is a Quranic expression. He said, and where are you people going? So they said, to al-bayt al-atiq, to the Kaaba, uh, the ancient house. But again, using the Quranic words. And Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, these people have a scholar amongst them. These people, they know the Qur'an. They're speaking with the Qur'an. They have a scholar amongst them. So he said to them, uh, which part of the Qur'an is greatest? And they responded with Ayatul Kursi. Allahu la ilaha illahu al-hayyul qayyum until the end of it. And he said, which part of the Qur'an is most decisive on justice? So they said, inna Allah ya'muru bil-adli wal-ihsan wa ita'li al-qurba. The verse that we recite in, in, on Yawm al-Jum'ah that Allah commands what is just and fair and the feeding of the relatives. And which of the Qur'an is most comprehensive? And so they responded, فَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ خَيْرًا يَرَهُ وَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ شَرًّا يَرَهُ Whoever does an Adam's weight of good, an Adam's weight of good will see it, and whoever does an Adam's weight of evil will see it. And which part of the Qur'an gives the greatest hope? قُلْ يَا عِبَادِيَ الَّذِينَ أَسْرَفُوا عَلَىٰ أَنْهُزِهِمْ لَا تَقْنَطُوا مِنْ transgressed against themselves, do not despair from the mercy of Allah. So at that point, Umar anhu was so impressed by their knowledge of the Qur'an that he responded and he said, is Abdullah bin Mas'ud amongst you? <laughs> the way that you people know the Qur'an, you have a scholar amongst you, and the way that you people know the Qur'an, you don't just have any scholar. Are you, are you by any chance with Abdullah bin Mas'ud? And they said, yes, by Allah. And Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu was so happy that he went and he held up Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And he said that he is, while, while he's like a pot, ilma, he's, he's just full of knowledge. 
SubhanAllah, so while he would be small in stature, he is full of knowledge, flowing with knowledge. He had a big smile on his face and he sat at his feet and he occupied him for hours catching up with his loved one, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Uh, SubhanAllah, it's even said that someone asked Umar radiallahu anhu a question, ibn Mas'ud was there, he said, are you asking me and you have the keeper of the secrets of the Prophet and, and, and sahibun alayn and the one who would even keep the sandals of the Prophet. So this was the love that Umar had for Ibn Mas'ud. And by the way, when we get to the story of Umar, no one was happier on the day that Umar became Muslim than Ibn Mas'ud. Okay, and, and he says this about himself. He was there when Umar became Muslim. And subhanAllah, he would live through the Khilafah of Umar. May Allah be pleased with them all uh, as well. He would live to the Khilafah of Uthman Ibn Affan radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And in the time of Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he passed away uh, before the fitna would break out. And, uh, you know, this was something, by the way, that, that Ibn Mas'ud narrated some of the ahadith about some of the dissension and the trials that would arise. So Allah Azza wa spared him of that. And he willed in his wasiyah that Az-Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu would pray upon him. And some of the scholars, they said that uh, the reason why he willed that Az-Zubayr would pray upon him is because Az-Zubayr was his brother in Hijrah. So he had a particular closeness to Az-Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, of course, is also one of the first that we will speak about. After the janazah of Abdullah bin Mas'ud uh, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Abu Mas'ud al-Badri, he says that I said to Abu Musa al-Ash'ari, may Allah be pleased with him, do you think that he has left behind him anyone comparable to him in knowledge? And he said that Abu Musa radiallahu anhu said no because he was with the Prophet when we were absent and he witnessed things from the Prophet that no one else witnessed. So this was a special man radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the shepherd on the outskirts of Mecca that, would, that, that had no status in society but had a supreme status in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a supreme closeness to the Prophet and who went on to become one of the greatest ulama, the greatest teachers and scholars of this ummah from whom we are still drinking from his well of knowledge today in so many different ways, in ways that we uh, do not uh, probably appreciate. May Allah be pleased with him and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gather us with him for certainly he asked Allah for the place of the Prophet to be with the Prophet in Jannah al-Firdaus and the Prophet said, Ameen. So we pray that Allah gather us with Ibn Mas'ud and with the Prophet and with the Salihin, with the Shuhada, with the Siddiqeen. And we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us for our shortcomings and that Allah allow us to love the Qur'an the way that these people love the Qur'an, to love Allah the way these people loved Allah and to love the Messenger the way these people loved the Messenger Allahumma ameen, jazakumullahu khayran, wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This podcast was brought to you by Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research, dismantling doubts and nurturing conviction, one truth at a time. Tune in every week for the next episode, and don't forget to subscribe to this channel and share with friends. Until next time, this has been The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam.